Welcome to the Give Back Economy, a podcast about social innovation and social enterprise. Now with your host, Peter Miller. Welcome back, and today we have a lady from Seattle, the home of Melinda Gates and other people in a very good football team. So Renee Martin is from an organization in the States and having to do with Fair Start and Catalyst Kitchens. And we're going to dig deep into that as we go along. But first of all, welcome, Renee. Thank you, Peter. Thank you for inviting me on the show. I'm excited to be here. Okay. First of all, tell, tell us about your education. Sure. Well, I uh, went to public high school. Actually, I went to the first um, magnet school as a, a what, what they call primary school or elementary school in the U.S. Um, called McCarver in Tacoma, Washington. And I ended up at Boston College, a Jesuit uh, university, where I studied poli-sci and English. And then I thought I would be a professor, and I spent some time studying art history and spending a lot of time in Italy. Um, but then I got sidetracked and ended up in, in a Bill Gates company, actually, called Corbis, um, where I worked um, on sales for uh, intellectual property rights and art. And then finally, about eight years ago, found myself in the nonprofit space. Wow. That's certainly diverse. Yes. <laughs> okay. So clarify the difference between Fair Start and Catalyst Kitchens. Absolutely. So uh, I work for Fair Start. Fair Start is a nonprofit social enterprise based in Seattle, Washington, and we are primarily a direct service provider. But what I do is I run a division or an, a program or an initiative of Fair Start called Catalyst Kitchens. And um, Fair Start does job training, culinary job training, and also addresses um, food insecurity through hunger relief and food businesses. And what Catalyst Kitchens does is two things. We have a consulting practice that helps build capacity in other nonprofit organizations across the country and in the, on occasion in Canada um, to basically launch programs like those that we have in Seattle that help individuals with barriers to employment get jobs, um, primarily in food service, but um, right now we focus also on transferability of skills to other sectors where there's uh, and more of an abundance of jobs. I also, we also run a network, so it's a collective impact initiative to reduce hunger, joblessness, and poverty on a national scale. And we have 88 members across the country that basically run their own nonprofits, but also embrace this program, this um, job training model run by social enterprise or driven by social enterprise with a strong uh, sense of community and connection with the community to make it thrive. So, so I run this kind of complementary two things, the consulting practice and the membership network. And they are known under the brand Catalyst Kitchens by Fair Start. Okay. You mentioned the homeless. We, we run a program called the Homeless Entrepreneur. 
which teaches homeless people how to start a business. And that came out of Barcelona, Spain, when a guy from uh, Minnesota went to Barcelona, and he set it up in three communities over there. And so I said, why not Canada? So I connected with him and set it up here. Wow. That's, uh, you know, they're amazing people, and people don't realize that. So I had them I had them fill out a form which outlined their skills and their work experience. And some of them pretty sharp. Others, one guy had robbed three banks, been in jail seven years, but he was creative as hell. Well, Peter, our approach to um, people experiencing homelessness is that it is fully ingrained and it's it's a It's a cycle of poverty that's really hard to break. And so what we do is we don't just treat the symptoms of poverty by providing, you know, housing, wraparound support and um, and meals. But we also go right to the root to try to give people opportunities to earn a living, um, therefore shortening the line, if you will, at food banks and um, giving people the agency to earn their own living. We are really hoping that uh, homelessness is a temporary status. Uh, for people, so we like to use the words um, those experiencing homelessness as opposed to the homeless. Well, for our little program, we identified 200 businesses that could be started for under $50. Wow. So that, uh, and we had one guy, he had a $1,000 worth of tattoos on his body, and he decided to start a tattoo parlor. Big surprise. But anyway, let, let's dig a little more into what, you, what you're doing with Catalyst Kitchens. Yeah. Are there, are there several locations now that are applying it? And, and they're social franchises, right? You know, they're not. So it's the actual opposite of a social franchise model where uh, it's very top-down. This is more of a, a loosely federated network, meaning that each of our member nonprofits run under their own auspices, their own 501c3 status, brand, budget, and leadership. So so some of our more well-known members are DC Central Kitchen, Liberty's Kitchen in Louisiana, and um, Hot Bread Kitchen in New York City, for example. So we have, it's a big variety of types of nonprofits or NGOs that embrace this model because they are trying to create pathways out of poverty. So you're doing a bottom-up approach as compared to yep, a top-down. Absolutely. Okay. So the ones you mentioned, are they successful in terms of revenue and profit or? Yeah. So this model, which has components of revenue generation that reduce reliance on grant funding, whether it be from government or individuals or you know foundations, is designed to really create an environment for applied learning, but also to reduce that reliance. In no situation do we find a program whose business side pays both for the business and the training program. So um, this model is dependent on some funding sources, especially to pay for the programmatic elements. But we do coach and support our members to try to generate profit on the food business side. And often that is achieved when Pre-COVID, there's a combination of business types. For example, K-12 
catering plus a contract meal business um, or and a restaurant and a cafe and together there might be some profit but maybe individually some of those would be lost leaders because there is an opportunity to um, have a retail storefront but maybe that location isn't you know isn't in the best place so therefore it is more about the training environment than the growth of the business so it's a it's a balance that our members face and it's important to get that um, understanding of those boundaries and responsibilities clear with one's board and leadership so um, one don't one doesn't have expectations that one can't meet well it's interesting on the food side i was at a presentation yesterday it was a pitch competition and what was interesting about this one is there were two ladies and their business is making meals for immigrants who come across the border to work in farms. So they're in bunkhouses and that kind of thing. They just work, you know, during the summer. And so they provide two meals a day for a price and they deliver the meals to the bunkhouse. So there's a lot of different variations on the theme that you're you're doing. Right. And in fact, in fact, last year during COVID, the biggest trend was to pivot towards hunger relief and to do more meals for communities in need. And as a result, that attracted uh, our program. It attracted $1.6 million um, through Nicholas Kristoff's New York Times campaign to raise funds to support nonprofits that were producing meals. And so that was a, a big win for Fair Start and our Catalyst Kitchens Network last year. Okay, so Fair Start, what's the source of funding for Fair Start? Yeah, Fair Start, like many of our member organizations, has a combination of funding, both from individual donors, foundations, grants, and government funding to support uh, students, um, but also social enterprise revenues through uh, food businesses. So traditionally, Fair Start ran several retail businesses that were impacted by COVID. And where we have increased our production is um, gone from, you know, um, several, you know, I think we went from several hundred thousand meals a year to 2 million meals in 2020, responding to that. And that was paid for partially by contracts, but also by the generosity of donors. Uh, Renee, talk to me about the importance of partnerships for your fair start and, and the kitchens. Absolutely. I mean, partnerships are critical. I think in any community, one, what, I'll think about just like when you're launching a new program. One of the, th I just was speaking to someone in, in Illinois yesterday and is, is the really first thing you need to do is scan the horizon to see who else is doing something that you want to do and seek complementary, you know, development partnership first. And then, you know, develop something that complements what they do if you if you find that there's still a need in a community. And so partnerships are critical at the feasibility stage and at the program development stage. We we believe that you have to do build programs in community with community and the person you're building those programs for has to be part of that equation. So this idea of of human-centered design or person-centered design is critical. Also because we are working cross-sector with employers 
alumni, these, these councils of hiring managers in each community where we have members, and of course in Seattle at Fair Start, we work closely with employer partners to ensure there are quality jobs available and that our graduates, the people that, the talent that we sort of steward, get, get opportunities, um, both that can, you know, be a first time right now job, but also provide uh, career advancement or a transferability of those skills to another sector eventually. Talk to me about the importance of discrimination and inclusion as it applies to Fair Start. Sure. Well, um, so Fair Start is an organization that has been on its own diversity, equity, and inclusion journey for the past several years. And we now have a, an anti-racist statement and all of our departments are working on key initiatives in that space. Um, we, in terms of our work nationally, you know, um, right now we're very early on in our journey. What we do know is that the individuals who are served by our members, the um, individuals with barriers to, to employment, those barriers are often systemic and societal rather than individual. They may impact an individual. So what we do is we provide sort of whole person support at the level of the program, um, but we also acknowledge that, you know, individuals of color, BIPOC, have been disproportionately impacted um, by poverty in our society. And that was exacerbated in 2020. And so, um, you know, for example, in my, in my work right now, we have launched things like affinity groups for the BIPOC staff inside our network. We are doing a survey of our members to see where they are at their, on their journey and how we are doing in that space in terms of our delivery, accessibility of um, the benefits of being a member, for example, our membership network is a peer learning community. And so we wanna make sure that what we offer is accessible to everyone and that multiple diverse voices are featured when we are talking about a given subject. So for example, last two weeks ago, we had a forum, a virtual forum, cause we're not working in person because of COVID. And it was on breaking barriers. We call it breaking barriers forum on uh, supporting individuals in re-entry. So those who are impacted by the, ju the justice, the criminal justice system. And um, there we sought diverse voices, you know, to make sure that our conversations are not just inclusive, but frankly, more interesting and more impactful. Um, so I think that's some of the work that we're doing and it's a journey. So, um, but I will say that um, we are also, assessing sort of what level of diversity in everything we do with the uh, amount of funds that we control, we are able to support BIPOC-led organizations. For example, with our grants that we gave out last year for funding, we were able to disproportionately impact smaller organizations and those that were BIPOC-led. And we intend to do that with other um, benefits that we get to uh, dole out we're in the uh, privileged position of doling out. For example, right now we have a, a RFP for support to help programs adapt to you know, the sort of return of the food service businesses and um, in-person work. And um, we are asking the, you know, our clients, the members, to let us know um, the comp composition of their, of their leadership in terms of diversity. 
so we can take that into consideration as we dole out resources. Another big issue in the United States, and this is kind of neat because you were from Canada originally, is immigration. And how does the parent company and the kitchens group support the immigration? Yeah, well, absolutely. So there are... um, several programs depending on their location where there might be um, a concentration of new Americans that disproportionately support um, them. And so I'm thinking of an organization in Salisbury, Maryland, which is called Telemon, and they work uh, very close. They had traditionally worked very closely with the Haitian community. Um, And in that case, uh, they were English language learners Um, but they had high standards in that program and they even did something called a serve safe manager certification, which is a pretty high level exam for, you know, um, leadership inside kitchens. And I got to witness them really slowing it down and making sure there was comprehension, although they were teaching in English. Um, they just took more time and attention. I think that, uh, in our programs, we have a curriculum that we, that we can share and it's, it's at a certain grade level for reading. Um, if there are uh, challenges with language, uh, we tend to have partnerships to help uh, mitigate those circumstances so that at intake, someone is ready to be able to be supported. But the makeup of the individual students in each community is totally dependent on need. And um, I know that there are programs in Idaho and along the border in um, Texas, for example, that might disproportionately support new Americans. But I would say every one of our programs are entertaining individuals who are low income, and that can include folks who are new to this country. And are a lot of them in Spanish as well as English? You know, um, there there is the ability in a lot of cases because there's bilingual staff to support, um, but our particular curriculum is not yet in Spanish. So here's a little challenging question. Three years from now, what is Fair Start going to look like? And what is Catalyst Kitchen going to look like three years from now? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, Well, Fair Start has gotten back to its roots to do a lot more hunger relief work and innovation in that space in Seattle. Um, And I I think that um, Fair Start will continue to go in depth um, and continue on its journey around DEI um, in areas. Our our vision long-term is to create a world in which all individuals have the opportunity to thrive in in an equitable and just world. And I think Catalyst Kitchens um, will continue to scale its collective impact um, on poverty. So far, we have connected 15,800 individuals with jobs nationwide in the over the 10 years um, that we've been in existence. So I see that trajectory continuing and growing um, and continuing to maybe set an example for other organizations that would like to scale their social impact and make a difference in this kind of collective format. I've been involved over the last couple of years with a number of indigenous groups. And I'm just wondering, is there any, are there any kitchens or programs that address the indigenous community? 
Yeah, I think um, I have definitely worked in um, Fairbanks, Alaska, um, with an organization actually um, that um, is called Stone Soup, and it was formerly a soup kitchen. And um, they had some partnerships with the Tanana chiefs there um, to both provide meals, contracts, so social enterprise meal contracts, and I believe also to train some of the folks that were in um, their housing. So I see that is achieved through partnerships, but I also see it achieved through those organizations. I know that in Washington State, I talked to at least one organization that was building out a training program sort of on tribal land. Um, so I think I think there's there's just um, a lot of folks understanding how low barrier to entry jobs in the food space can be and um, understanding that you can apply and learn a lot of transferable skills in that space. So it, it, it ends up being a really great model um, when it comes to, to trying to pull people up out of poverty. And so I don't, I'm not surprised if um, many communities, many diverse communities would embrace this model. Terrific. Well, one of the gentlemen that I coach is a former First Nation chief in Northern British Columbia. And his thing is 3D printing of dome houses. And he wants to put those on reserves and then uh, videotape the whole thing and then train others to do it in communities right across Canada. So, yeah, there's, there's some good... So, finally, how, how do people find your two organizations? What are the websites? Right, yeah, so we're one organization, Fair Start, and so you can go to fairstart, F-A-R-E-S-T-A-R-T dot O-R-G. Um, and if you want to go to, and you can get to catalystkitchens.org through our main page, or you can just go to catalystkitchens, plural, dot O-R-G and find um, this network and this consulting practice that Fair Start supports. So for listeners, what would be your ask? Yeah, I think that if you are in community and you look around and you see a need for uh, for pathways out of poverty and you see restaurants or food service businesses and you see nonprofits that could potentially be a champion or a host, um, you know, think about this model. Think about the transformative power of giving people opportunity to practice and apply learn skills for employment and, um, and give us a call or check out our website and we can help your community prepare to launch a similar program or identify another one. We have a map on our website that shows where many of these programs exist already. Thank you, Renee. It's, it's been a delight. You're uh, an innovator running a, or part of a social enterprise and you're going to do great things in the near future. Thank you for your time today. Thanks, Peter.